to insert podcast name here <laughs> on WKRQ at 97.2. <laughs> I'm Rachel Cohen Bourne. This is Jason. It's Just the artist known as Jason. The artist known as Jason. And we're going to talk about movies and fun. First on the docket, Fargo. Fargo. We watched Fargo last night. Um, we've seen it before, the 1996 uh, Cohen Brothers movie. Um, I did drink a lot, but, you know, mm-hmm. I did take some notes, but not like yours, I see here. Holy shit. It's only one page. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you write, like... Serial killer? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is my notes. Ooh. Hey, but that's two pages, technically. Technically, but a lot smaller notepad. <laughs> and I write like ten times bigger than you. <laughs> so, all right. Where do you want to start off with this? Let's go with our, our first impression, just the briefest of synopsis. What is Fargo? What is Fargo? Fargo is a place. I mean, the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it is a, I don't know, it's a thriller is the genre, I would assume. Mm, like a crime crime drama yeah maybe i would put it in uh yeah crime thriller drama and what's the first thing i mean i know we've seen it before but yeah let's say our first impressions after watching it again my first impression or what our first impressions were if we remember the first time we saw it oh well see 96 i was probably like in sixth grade and I remember seeing it on television, probably not in 96, but like it was probably on Showtime or HBO or something. And I remember like watching tons and tons of horror movies and nothing really got to me, but the wood chipper scene definitely Mm -hmm. like stuck in my head for a while. Like I was just not expecting it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, I was not ready for that gore and that foot like Mm -hmm. out Uh and kind of pushing the foot down. Yeah. But, I mean, I can laugh about it now. I think that's one of the main things people remember about the movie. They remember the accents, and they remember the wood chipper. Yeah. 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 Oh, jeez. <laughs> but <laughs> I think what makes that more frightening is because the movie almost had a slightly comedic feel, like bumbling idiots. And then when the murder actually starts happening, it's it's even a little comedic then at, at one point. When they keep shooting each other. Yeah. And we'll get to that later. But uh, this comedic feel or not quite... It's not a horror movie. It doesn't strike you as. But then there's this wood chipper scene, which seems like straight out of a horror movie. Mm-hmm. And we hadn't seen anything like that before in a movie, you know, at that time. Not that kind of movie, anyway. Well, not... I was... We were younger. Much younger then, so... Yeah. In a, in a big Hollywood movie. Well, you were, what, 20? Just kidding. No. <laughs> <laughs> What year is that? 90, did it come out in 96, you said? Mm-hmm. So I was 17. 17. And um, they used the word supper. Supper. Which is Instead such a weird word to me. And I hate it when people say we should supper. look up the etymology or something. Something to do with, will you sup with me? I don't know why people say that. If it's somebody a, said that it's like a to me, I would just King sugar. James Bible kind of word. Yeah. Or Shakespearean era. I did think the shower curtain scene was hilarious. Oh, yes. We forgot about the shower curtain scene. When they uh, 
very the two dumb if you haven't seen it and spoiler alerts um the two dumb criminals that uh were paid by uh, the husband to kidnap his wife for a ransom mm-hmm. they i thought it was hilarious how they just walked up to the door at first yeah he just kind of just kind of looked in very nonchalantly clump 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 yeah. <laughs> walks up yeah so, while she's watching tv and she just startled and doesn't move to get away even though he's wearing a like a ski mask just like and in then, shock or yeah something. and then he just peers in the window like he's just like a, a goofy neighbor or something wandered are you home yeah you got any sugar i'm out of sugar kind of situation yeah. and then he breaks in and everything happens but let, let's we'll go through like a yeah, plot in a little bit yeah. but we're just going through initial impressions Okay, <clears throat> let's see. Because we're doing plot. Yes. What do you think? Like, how did it start? What do you mean? How did the movie begin? The movie began with the husband, who is, uh, what's his name? Oh. William H. Macy? Yes. Which I love him. Shameless. Jerry, what's his name in here? Jerry? Yeah, Jerry. Lindegard? I don't remember the last name, but I wrote, Jerry. I wrote it down, yeah. Jerry. And he uh, doesn't ever explain, like... Why he's in debt? That's what I, that's what I was hoping to figure out, and I don't think it ever does that I noticed. Yeah. Or maybe it did, and it, it was subtle. There was something about later on it, it mentions he they were calling to ask him about some cars. That yeah, but I thought he used one of them numbers. to use one of them to give to the the criminals to use. Yeah. Okay. So unless there, he just does and it had a lot. Dealer plates. Yeah. And, yeah, I was wondering if he did it a lot beforehand, and that's why he was in trouble to begin with. Maybe. If he was, like... Because it's his father-in-law's lot. Yeah. Like, car lot. And he was siphoning money off somehow and making... Cooking the books in some way, and that's how he got into this problem to begin with. Yeah. But, like, it starts off... Like, the opening scene is just, like, pure white. There's a car. It's headlights barely coming through, like, a fog of snow, basically. And uh, it just kind of, like, sets the scene right away. Like, this is where we are in... You know, the setting is totally different than uh, most movies you'd see, I would say, in general. Yeah. And uh, also, that's I liked how that kind of opening is mirrored in the ending later mm-hmm. on. It's just kind of a little a little bookend. But immediately after that, it's like you realize he's pulling up to this bar where he meets William H. Macy. He goes into a bar and meets our two... Uh, Criminals. Two criminal antagonists, I guess. Yeah. Even though Jerry's the real antagonist. Yeah, he is. He's sort of our... We think of him as protagonist because he's the who we see a lot of the story through. I don't know, not all of it though. No. But he's just the first character you meet, and he's sort of a, I wouldn't say a country bumpkin, but he's like a, he's got the down homey quality for it. He's a, a middle, you know, like middle class yeah. suburban dad. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. he's not car salesman. Right. I think it's just the accents that throw me off. It's just that the era. Yeah. 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 Oh, geez. Uh-huh. But see, the hook is, I think, right away, we immediately know something is weird because he starts talking about the details of kidnapping his wife. And that's yes. given pretty quick. For a ransom, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we know what the movie's about early on. And that's probably like the whole inciting incident. Or that's just the hook so far because nothing has really quite happened yet except there's confusion about what's going on. Mm-hmm. He gives them a car. Oh, the old Tan Sierra. Yep. That we keep hearing throughout the rest of the movie. Tan Sierra. <laughs> Which, as he owns a car dealership, he's just given them, these kidnappers, the car, I guess, just as a 
some way of uh, getting some kind of alibi or so it's not that can't be traced to them or something like that. It doesn't really fully explain. Yeah. Remember. We're supposed to be smarter and figure that out, I think. Yeah. But Or it was a gift. Like oh yeah, yeah, part of part of the payment, I think. Maybe. Maybe he just says that a lot. Here, I'll give you a car. Yeah. And then uh, what happens after that? They um then it goes back to he goes home. His family. To his family. His, his uh, wife's dad is also there. For it's, supper. For supper. Supper. Which, uh, and he's like the owner of this car lot and among other things. Yeah. And Jerry's just like works for him at the car lot. And he sends them a deal or talks about this deal like, hey, can you look this over? Some sort of proposal or something. Mm-hmm. Investment. Okay. And he was like kind of blowing him off like, oh, whatever. And then he was then trying to call off the deal with the uh, criminals. They he couldn't reach them. You remember that? Mm-hmm. And yeah. then, but then the next day, his boss slash father in law tells him like, "Oh, what's your finder's fee?" Mm-hmm. Like they were not gonna let him do the deal on its own. I think that was like a separate deal he was talking about. Like it was just a um, opportunity for investment. That Jerry thought he was going to be in on, with his father father in law as a, and he would be like get like an equal cut, even though he wasn't putting up the money, and they all laughed at him for that. Like, yeah. well, you can give a finder's fee, but we're not giving you a cut because it's yeah. our money. And then he goes home, or you know, like walks back to the parking lot, and it's got this cool overhead shot of this the emptiness of the parking lot, which we see in several different occasions. It's just all snow and just nothing there, and he's walking really slowly to his car. And, Speaking of snow, shooting snow is really cool. Mm-hmm. I did it this last weekend. It was really neat, really pretty. And there should be more movies in snow. It just it's really cold. <laughs> yeah, that's the main downfall. And it takes about twelve hours to do anything. <laughs> so. Yeah, but I think we jumped ahead a little bit. Yes. But I was I wrote down just as a funny quote when they when we first get when he first gets home after meeting the kidnappers and sees his father-in-law, and his father-in-law. Or the, the son leaves to be asked to be excused to go to McDonald's. Yeah. He's like, what? what is it? You just ate. You only ate half of it. Now you're going to McDonald's? He's like, going to McDonald's? What do you think they do there? They're not drinking milkshakes, I can tell you. <laughs> that was pretty <laughs> odd. Like, yeah. what goes down at McDonald's? That's yeah. pretty, uh, but with a 12-year-old, or 13-year-old, whatever he is. I knew some people that lived in Petoskey, Michigan, and which is kind of a tourist town, like seasonal tourist town, but they lived there all year long. And she was working at, I think it was a casino there, this girl I knew. And she said that she thought it was weird because they'd be like, hey, you want to go hang out at Walmart? (laughs) Like there was nothing to do there in off season that they were like, people would hang out at Walmart. That was like their... Yeah, I know that sounds sad, but I've done that for Myers. As a teenager, like, we were bored. Like, if there's nothing to do, let's go hang out at Myers for a bit. And, like, we'd put on rollerblades and roll around or ride a bike around the store until someone told you to stop. Yeah. <laughs> like, just... I think we did that, too. But I just thought it was weird that, I mean, they were old enough to drink, but they're like, hey. Hmm. They'd be like, yeah, we're going to go hang out at Walmart. <laughs> weird. Local meeting place. Yeah. So when they said McDonald's, I was thinking, mm-hmm. oh, it must be like a weird small town thing. Like, oh, let's hang out at the True, yeah. weird... It's the only thing around here yeah. that we all can meet at. 
Yeah. That's not at our parents' house or something. Continue. Sorry. And then uh, at, at one of the places where the, where the kidnappers are driving the car, the mm-hmm. TN Sierra, and uh, Peter Stormar, I forgot how to pronounce his name, but he's like the uh, the big um, kidnapper mm-hmm. with the Blonde. blondish hair. And uh, he keeps talking about how he wants to go to Pancake's house. Yeah. <laughs> that was a funny scene. <laughs> Pancake house. Pancake's house. <laughs> he's like, what? We're just... We just had pancakes. We're going to have pancakes again. Yeah. <laughs> he just keeps looking at it. He doesn't say much early at ever, which is funny with Steve Buscemi. He wants to yeah. talk all the time. There's that funny oh. scene. Yeah. He's like, oh, the silent treatment, huh? Well, two can play that game, I can tell you. And then you can't. He just keeps talking. <laughs> you just watch. <laughs> yeah. You just see. <laughs> see how you like it. Is it Gayer? his last name? His first name was some Geyer, Geyer or something. Yeah. G-A-E-A-R or something yeah. like that. But, yeah, and then they go through Brainerd. We see this uh, statue of Paul Bunyan. <laughs> Brainerd County, Paul Bunyan. And then it eventually gets eerier and eerier. Like, uh, the second time we see the statue, it's, like, under from underneath, and it's looming large, and it's, like, underlit, and it looks like a really scary man with an axe, like, yeah. which is, like, a signal right before the uh, murder is start happening, but I'm jumping ahead again. So what happens after that? What happens after that? Uh, well, they got prostitutes. Oh, okay. Now we can talk about the wife hiding in the tub when the when the kidnappers like, finally show up. Yeah. yeah, I don't know why I love that scene. <laughs> <laughs> I'd forgotten about it. I well, the whole scenario is hilarious to me. And the Coen Brothers are really good at doing. They have some bizarre scenes, mm-hmm. like even like No Country for Old Men, like the whole friendo thing, because it was just mm-hmm. awkward. Friendo. Yeah, friendo. <laughs> like, it, they're masters, and Joel's uh, usually the one that's more the director of the brothers. I mean, that was a book, so I don't know how much they lifted from the book, or if they added friendo, or it was an original. I'll look it up. Yeah. I will look it up, because it will bother me. It's a Cormac McCarthy book, I believe. Yep. And the whole scene of her, like, just knitting, watching, like, smiling at the TV. I love how, mm-hmm. like, Midwestern... Uh, middle class they were mm-hmm. like they got it down to a T yeah like she's like in a sweater she's like just, knitting just even smiling the... at the t- talk show that she's watching and it's just a perfect scene to me like uh-huh. I want to be that graphic uh-huh. when I write not graphic but that detailed right. when I make a movie I want to make it feel like I've seen my weird Aunt Carol do that, you know, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and she was definitely an Aunt Carol kind of character. Right. And <laughs> I'm just watching the equivalent of like Good Morning America type show. Yeah. And she's just smiling. And she kind of giggles at it. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. And, to then, me. and this kidnapper just clumps up onto the back porch yeah, in, in the, the slider door. Slider door. With a ski in. mask. Like goofy, dumpy looking. And then he breaks uh, the glass with mm-hmm. a crowbar. Mm-hmm. Then, then she freaks out and runs upstairs. Then both kidnappers are like chasing her, but the big guy, Peter Stormar, he just says, "I need unguent," because he like obviously cut himself breaking through the glass. Yeah. So he just like ignores chasing the woman, goes right to the bathroom. Yeah. And like pulls out, like looks for some. He's touching unguent. everything. Yeah, he's touching everything. And 
they thought maybe she jumped out the window because she had the window open. Oh, remember? I like, like how the, the window was like one of those. Uh, how right. You, how you describe? Yeah, those, those like wind up ones. They, yeah. they slowly go, and that was yeah. a pain in the ass. Yeah. Especially the shut. And she, and then he's noticed like in the mirror that the like was it a shower curtain moved or something? Mm-hmm. And she like jumped through the shower curtain, but mm-hmm. it was like she was a ghost. Yeah. And it was still on her while she's running and <laughs> panicking, and then she falls down the stairs. I don't know yeah. why. It's it was funny scene to me. It was very funny. Because, like, the, the kidnappers were the most bumbling, looked like simple. Like, they weren't even alarmed. They were just, like, bloom, 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 plodding around, plodding around. And she runs, freaks out. And they just kind of slowly watch her. Fall down the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> it was a great scene. All right. And then we have the scene where we were talking about a little bit earlier where um gives the deal or tries to give, get in on the deal to his father-in-law. Like, while his wife is being kidnapped... He's talking to his father-in-law, trying to get in on this deal where he gets, finds out, oh, he just gets the finder's fee and he's not even in on that. So he goes back slowly to his car and has to scrape ice off his car and gets mad. Oh, been there. Yeah. You ever try to, like, leave a job or leave somewhere angry and then you're like, fuck, now everybody's going to see me <laughs> still, <laughs> like, scraping. Like, I remember you can't when... storm off in a huff. You just, no. You're just <laughs> stuck there. you got to still wipe down your car and scrape your windows and... <laughs> Like, damn it. When he finally comes home, he, he realizes his wife is gone. There's, you know, stuff broken and his wife is missing. Yeah, and then he's like, uh, well, maybe I can say that in a little bit. But he didn't even think about what his son's feelings were going to be. No. He didn't even think, he was like, oh, like he almost said his name. Oh, yeah. Like he wasn't even thinking about that. But Which, which is funny because his son in his bedroom, mm-hmm. I must mention that he had an accordion. Yeah. A white snake poster in the background in the background accordion on his bed next to him uh-huh. while he's depressed about his mom being kidnapped yeah and then when they shut the door there was a accordion king poster on the door yeah picture so i was really confused about this child yeah it kind of reminds me of that absentia child yeah like what is this what kind of kid is this yeah there's michael phelps posters on his wall but he was really into swimming and then this kid is really into accordions i guess and white snake and white snake because you can't have accordion without Isaac. Yeah. <laughs> you know that accordion song, right, of theirs? Mm-hmm. Which is funny to me. And then there's the scene, which I didn't gloss over really quickly in my notes. I must have been paying too good of attention. Where the kidnappers are pulled over by the police. When they got uh, his yes. wife in the car. It's nighttime. Oh, it was daytime. Was it? No, no, it, it was, was nighttime. nighttime, wasn't it? And I think yeah. that's when they... They show, they go back, they're traveling through Brainerd County again, mm-hmm. and you see the more ominous um, scene of the Paul Bunyan mm-hmm. man with an axe, which kind of tells you that there's going to be a murder or something dark is going to happen, you know, in a way. Yeah. At least subconsciously, if you didn't see it before. And uh, they get pulled over by the cops, and he's like, oh, it must be my, uh, I forgot to change plates. the plates. Yeah. Because they have dealer Deal plates, plates, he yeah. thought. And uh, so the cop comes. And Steve Buscemi, he's like, oh, I can handle this, I can handle this. And, uh, oh, he tries to slip him a 50. Yeah, he tried to bribe him. Yeah, he tries to. pissed him off. Mm-hmm. So, Peter Stormar, guy or whatever his last name is, yeah, just shoots him, like, right in front of Steve Buscemi's face. Yeah, on the top and, of the head. Yeah, and there's blood everywhere. And then, so Steve Buscemi has to get out. It's this long, lonely road where it seems like not many people are. Yeah. So he gets out to try to haul the body off to the side of the road, at least. And then there's this car coming. <laughs> and he could not look more incriminated as the car 
slowly a dead cop. There's holding a, a dead cop. He's holding a dead cop. The police car's right behind him. He's dragging a body. <laughs> and he's just like... the deer in the headlights. Yeah. Wow. So then, while he's still trying to haul the body off, the other guy, Peter Stormart, gets in the driver's seat and whips the car around and chases down those random passersby. They get driven off the road or they panic and fly off the road. Yeah. And flip the car. And then he, sh- then he shoots them if they're alive. And then we meet our next main character, actually finally a good protagonist person. Yes. Which is kind of late in the movie, you'd think, but, you know, it works. It works. So we intro Margie, Marge. Margie Gunderson, the detective for Brainerd County. Yeah. 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 And she's pregnant. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and, uh... I, I love her husband. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't he in, uh, he was in, um, the actor was in, um, The Office. Wasn't he? That's, he did look familiar. Yeah, I think he was in The Office. I think. Pretty certain. No, he just looks kind of like that guy. Yeah, he does. I don't think it's the same guy. Oh, he was in something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But he, um, I just thought it was funny that she was like a detective. Uh-huh. And her husband paints ducks. Yeah, he's, he's a painting ducks. <laughs> like apparently that's all he does, as far as we know. Yeah, as far as we know. And yeah, she so she gets a call, which I assume is in the middle of the night, I guess, or early in the morning. Must know. be early in the morning. He's like, no, I need to make you eggs. She's like, oh, don't trouble yourself, you know, etc. He's like, oh, you need, I need to make you eggs. I need to make you eggs. So he makes her eggs. <laughs> oh, he made me eggs. Yep. Oh. And then it's like this kind of domestic. It's not domestic bliss, but it's like they're totally comfortable with each other. They they love each other, but it's not like brand new romantic love. It's just like, oh, I love you. Oh yeah. Oh. You know. Yeah. And uh, they're totally comfortable. And then she goes out. You see her like out the window going to the car. Like, okay, we're gonna go to the next scene now. But the scene keeps lingering. And then she slowly walks back in, opens the door, says. She, I need a jump. Yeah. <laughs> like the car died. <laughs> Which I'm sure that happens a lot. And, yeah. And we actually had to look on the map because we had an argument around <laughs> that time. Not an argument, but we were mm-hmm. having a little debate. Because I said, well, it's colder there, so the car batteries die more often. And, and I you was said, like, that's the same as Muskegon. It's yeah. It's the same as here. <laughs> and then I, I didn't realize how north Minnesota is, actually. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that. I lived in the St. Paul, Minneapolis area for a very short time in first grade. Yeah. Spell yeah. hardest. Oh. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> that's actually do. That's a whole other story. You want me to tell the whole <laughs> spelling bee story? <laughs> that's not related to Minnesota, actually. It's related to a teacher from Ohio. Oh. Why I couldn't understand her. <laughs> and I watched too much Doctor Who. So when she had a little, not an official spelling bee, but like a, you know, sixth gra- fifth, sixth grade spelling bee in class, she said the word tortoise, as in a turtle. But all I heard was TARDIS, because apparently I'd been watching too much Doctor Who, and I was like, is that a real word? Well, I don't know. I guess I'm just going to have to guess about TARDIS. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I so. thought that was in Minnesota. No. 
No, you were the there when I showed was, up with Gizmo. The year I was born and it was, was glorious. 1984. Still have it. I still have him. It's the same I, age as me. We yeah. left Minnesota right before Christmas. Because <laughs> I was born December 28th of 1984. And pretty much, he's I'm actually waiting you, for my Gremlins yeah, plush doll to come in from all the UPC symbols I had right, saved from eating Gremlins cereal. Regardless, <laughs> okay, he arrived. So what as we arrived, to the laundry room, getting ready to leave. Switch. and uh, Minneapolis area, Ooh. which is only part of actually they're further north. Yeah, Fargo is on the border of South da- South da- or North Dakota and yeah. Minnesota, mm-hmm. which is a little higher. It's more like uh, same latitude. As uh, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. I thought Longest Beard was... You know, I don't remember. I it's, it's a 50-50 chance of being right, and we're probably wrong. I thought Longitude was east to west. You could west. be right. I yeah. really don't know right now. Me either. And but we never checked I anything. mean, we have Google. Yeah, we have it. We have phones on us. We don't even have to type laptop. it in. We could probably say it out loud and find out right now. But Alexa would tell us. But I hate Alexa. And <laughs> we won't do that because we're that lazy. Oh, by the way, whoever does commercials, you really shouldn't have Alexa commercials. Yeah. Like where you say, hey, Alexa, because every I have to coax my Alexa like a child. Like, calm down. That was just a commercial. <laughs> Shut up. Mm-hmm. And that's just a little thing I want to complain about. Agreed. She's confused enough as it is. <laughs> Remember when she kept changing the... Oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> okay. Okay, then we... Okay, so Margie's on the case. She's on the case. And they go investigate the crime scene in the morning. Right? And and the guy is confused about the plates that they had found. Oh, the DLR? Yes. Yeah, he didn't realize it was a dealer. Yeah, it's a dealer plate. And, um, I don't know, that's just... She starts getting clues of what, you know, where to look and what yeah. happened. Mm-hmm. And also, she hears really that, smart. Yeah, and she hears about she must have found out the prostitutes early pretty quickly. Well, they, I thought she, they said that somebody saw the. She went to the hotel that had the same plates or something like, and then they're like, oh yeah, they had two friends, and then she mm-hmm. went to like the, okay, strip club or something. Yeah, she tracked down the people that. Yeah. The prostitutes. And and that was, I think it was a famous scene. I think that was on commercials at the time to promo the movie. It was part of this scene when the two blonde prostitutes were in a bar talking to Marge. I don't remember. And, I mean, well, I remember she was, she was scene, asking, like, oh, so there were two guys. She was like, yeah, one was a big guy, one was a little guy. And when, you know, when he looked like, oh, he was weird looking. Yeah. Like, he was funny. Oh, he's funny looking. Like, how funny? Like, how? Like, I don't know. He's just funny looking. But it was like. That's like asking me, though, like, to describe people. Right. But I think one of the famous lines was, so you were, uh, was it having sex, I think? So you were having sex with a little fella? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they kept saying, yeah, like over yeah. and over. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he was funny looking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Oh, jeez. English toffee. <laughs> you can tell the English toffee. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how funny it is to other people, but it's hilarious to me. Mm-hmm. But um, we were at Mackinac Island years and years ago, and it was a really crowded gift shop they were in. And I'm trying to get out, and I'm, like, stuck. Like, people are coming in, and there's, like, a display on my, uh, it would be my right side. There's barely enough room to stand. Yeah, and I was trying to get out, and I'm, like, inching, like, <clears throat> 
slowly towards the door. Trying not to rudely push people aside to get out. Yeah, and this lady right in my face, she was coming in. She goes, oh, English toffee. (laughs) And (laughs) so I was thinking about her the whole time. We were watching the show. (laughs) And I don't know why I just wanted to crack out because she was like right in my face. And Mm -hmm. I'm not even sure. If there was English toffee over there, or she was just talking because my skin is a toffee color? I don't know. Well, no, there was little candies, I think, on, on the counter. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't look. I was trying to But it was like she was right in your ear, like right. <laughs> right there. I was right next to you, so it was almost close to me, too. I like, could almost Whoa. feel her breath on Yeah. <laughs> and she said it really loud and surprisingly. We were, everybody was dead silent, and all of a sudden we hear, oh, English toffee, like right in our ear. And I got out of the store and I just started cracking up. <laughs> it was at the same time I was showing people my armpit. Yes, you can tell that story too. <laughs> Sorry. We'll save that one for later. Yeah. I'm sure that will come up again. I'm sure armpits will come up again. <laughs> but I thought about whoever you are, lady, if you're hearing this. I thought of you the whole time I watched Fargo last night. So then... Back to the pot. Oh, at some point, uh, she gets a call from Mike Yanagita, mm-hmm. which I don't know. It seemed to have nothing to do really with the plot. No. There's a little side backstory to Margie. Her. Yeah. Yeah, she's a desirable woman. Mm-hmm. Pregnant and all. Oh, what do they call her later when she, he finally does meet? I thought she was a swell lady or something. I don't know. Maybe I wrote it down later. But then um, he just gets a call from, oh, I think she's still in bed with her husband. And like while she's on the phone with Mike Yanagita, who was apparently like an ex-boyfriend, I assume. I don't know. Yeah, I would assume. Um, her husband's arm is like over her with the wedding ring on, like right in the scene, like holding the belly, the pregnant belly. Uh-huh. Yeah. While she's talking to Mike Yanagita, so I, maybe it's like a it red herring. We think we're gonna have Margie go to the dark side in some way. <laughs> no, not Margie. Not Margie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh. And then we guess we hear um, Steve Buscemi calls Jerry or William H Macy, and informs him that blood has been shed. So after all the things, are, he, they're starting to freak out now that they've killed a cop and then yeah. killed some other people. They know that they're in deep shit now. It's not going smoothly. Yeah. So he, he lets Jerry know that who's. And who's, they go to a cabin with no heat. Yeah, apparently there's no heat. They're heating it with a oven. Yeah. Like in the middle of nowhere. And then Margie goes down to the Twin Cities, like the big city. The big city. The big Twin Cities. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. To meet Mike Kianagita. Yeah. And he always thought she was a swell lady. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think I'm okay with that compliment if somebody told me that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think I'd be like, oh, wow. <laughs> Nobody's ever said that to me. I appreciate that. And he says that he was married and that she died, his wife died, and and he heard something recently about... Um, he saw her on TV. Saw Marge on TV, and he's like, oh, she always was a swell lady, and thought to give her a call, mm-hmm. and then meets him down in the big old Twin Cities. She has a Diet Coke. <laughs> Did she? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's important to know. We are micro-deconstructing this movie. <laughs> We're really getting deep. Yeah. What was the symbolism of the Diet Coke, creature? <laughs> or the Tan Sierra. What does the Tan Sierra represent? Oh, uh, well, Oldsmobile. Um. 
don't make them anymore. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so then, well, okay, Yanagita freaks out, starts crying. He's lonely. She gets weirded out by him. Which happens. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then um, Marjorie comes back to Jerry at his um, car dealership in his office. It kind of confronts him about what, you know, we've got these dealer plates and must have come from here. Do you know about any missing cars? Were they stolen? And he's like super nervous and acting kind of weird and like evasive. Mm-hmm. And Margie just kind of, she, I think she's smart. Like she knows something's going up, but she acts so. It's this Midwest thing. Midwest. Did you notice nice, that? Niceness yeah. of like, I'm not going to embarrass you. Unless you're in Detroit. That doesn't exist. A lot of the Midwest is like that. They're like super polite. More like s- smaller, being... smaller towns, Midwest. Yeah. Maybe not, not Chicago or Detroit. Cities really. Or not even Grand Rapids. Right. Or Muskegon, really. No, Muskegon. But like if you go 10, 20 miles out, mm. yeah. Well, hold on. Is that the only reason why she was in Minnesota? Or in uh, the Twin Cities? That's as far as I know. There must have been... To make Mike, yeah. Oh, she had to go down there for some other reason. She yeah. had to check something, but I forget what it was. Me too. There was something else, but I mm-hmm. don't remember. Yeah, because she, she was heading that way anyways. Yeah. To check something. But, but yeah, Jerry denies he's still in the car. Well, Jose Feliciano I wrote down. Oh, okay, that's when uh, Steve Buscemi gets another prostitute, but he's by himself this time. He takes a prostitute to a, a hotel or something, and Jose Feliciano is playing in like a ballroom. You don't remember that? Kind of. <laughs> anyway. At some point, um, somebody I, kicks his ass. Huh? Yeah, Chef Shep Proudfoot. Oh yes, because Shep. Uh, she confronts. Yeah. No, no, Jerry doesn't. Jerry find Shep. Well, I thought she said something like, "Hey, you got mm. you know all these." Oh, that's how she found yeah. Jerry. She talked to Shep, and then I think Shep rats Jerry out at least mm-hmm. a little bit, not completely, just mm-hmm. enough to know that the cars came from that dealership or something. Yeah. Something like that. And Chef, Chef Proudfoot finds Buscemi and beats him up for fucking everything up. And then we're heading towards the um, the final moment of the trade-off to get his wife back and get the money, a million dollars. He has already convinced um, his father-in-law to put up the money, which is funny. He was wanting to deal with him at first. Like, yeah. how about half a million? <laughs> like, it's not, a, it's not a horse trading. But then the moment comes for the, the trade-off, the kidnapping money. Jerry's still hoping to get his money and hoping that everybody's safe, you know. His original plan was, like, have his wife kidnapped, but nobody would know about it, and he'd get the money somehow from his father-in-law, technically. But his father-in-law refuses to let Jerry go, even though he keeps saying, no, it's just supposed to be me. His father takes the money and goes by himself anyway to meet up with Steve Buscemi at this parking garage, right, to do the trade-off. And Steve Buscemi is already, you know, they've killed a cop, they've killed bystanders, and he got the shit beat out of him by Shep Proudfoot. So he's freaking out. And uh, he kills the dad. Well, that's kind of a funny how that happens too, isn't it? Like he yeah. just, he's freaking out like, what the hell are you doing here? And he's like, where's my daughter? He's like, and Bushami just kind of loses his shit and just shoots him. But he's not dead immediately. He shoots him back, like through the mouth, it looks like. Yeah. And they shoot back and forth a couple times before the dad, the father-in-law finally dies. But Buscemi's wounded. He's holding his face, I think, throughout the rest of the movie. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. And Jerry also was trying to get there, but he got there too late. Um, there's something about a barbed wire fence and the smallest ice scraper in the world. <laughs> oh, 
He's burying the money. Yeah, right. where the he goes and buries the money. Mm-hmm. The small ice scraper. Mm-hmm. He has to dig a hole in the snow, but it's got this the worst ice scraper, smallest one in the world. It looks like to to dig with. I think it's hilarious today that all my friends from LA and California are bitching because they had a little snow. I thought it was cute. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, how sweet. Fuck you. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and it's funny because today it was really nice and mm-hmm. it, was, it felt warm. It was mm-hmm. 30 degrees. Yeah. yeah. We made it up to 32 today. Yeah. Which is a. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. <laughs> That's yeah. a hot one today. So, Buscemi buries the money. Is this before or after he uh, goes back to the cabin? I don't remember. I must be. See, this is what happens when you drink and watch movies. Right. <laughs> don't drink and watch Because, I mean, it is sort of a plot-heavy movie. A lot of different yeah, things different happen. Things. <clears throat> we did drink a lot. At, at some point, then he, then Steve Buscemi, I believe his name was Carl in the movie? Yep, Carl. Goes back to the cabin. The wife is... Like in this, still in this bag thing, like had her in burlap, burlap bag, and yeah. then she's like off to the side. Like I don't know, is she dead or not? I think she might be dead. Like the killer guy, Peter Storm, might have killed her, like while he was gone. And he's just sitting there watching like soaps or something, smoking cigarettes. And he's like, "What happened?" And after I don't know what happened exactly, but he's like, "Here's the money." Like which means like pissed off. Like everything's going to shit. He's like, "Here's your your take. Take this. Blah 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 blah. Let's get out the fuck out of here, right?" And then he starts walking. He's like, fuck this shit. I'm leaving. I'm taking the car. Oh, that's what he... He's like, the car is half mine. He's like, no, I, I just got shot. I'm shot through the face, blah, 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 etc. I'm just going to take the, the car. He's like, no, you give me the half of the money for the car or something. He's like, fuck you. I'm shot. I'm leaving. He goes out to leave. And uh, Peter Stormar comes after him with an axe and chops, yes. chops him. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then I think uh, Margie catches up to them at this point. She finds out where the cabin is. Mm-hmm. Where's Jerry? I don't know. See, my notes now are really shit. Yeah, mine are falling apart too. <laughs> I left out some details because a lot happens, right? Right, it's, it's important around that time, and I thought I would remember better. Me too. It says, I just got Jerry getting snippy, takes off, quote, oh, for Pete's sake. <laughs> Pete's sake. So where was Jerry? I don't know. We, we still don't know. Okay. Anyway, Marge catches up, finds the cabin. I think I think Jerry just went on the on the run and went to a motel or something. But I don't remember what set him off. Just everything was going to hell. Oh, because he he saw his father-in-law's dead body probably because he got there too late due to the exchange and found the dead body. And then he probably just went on the run like everything's going to hell. And then. Somehow Margie finds the cabin, I forgot how. And then we see the infamous wood chipper scene. The wood chipper scene. Tell me the wood chipper scene. Well, she goes around the corner. She, you can hear wood chipper and you see one leg, one <laughs> foot. Mm-hmm. He's pushing his body, trying to push his foot down into the wood chipper. And there's this blood spray everywhere onto the white snow. It was, I never thought of killing anyone in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's pretty... Um, pretty interesting but like as it seems to like remove the evidence i guess was the purpose but then you see the huge yeah, spray of blood yes, everywhere and, yeah like and you know there's gotta be matter like yeah. you know meaty matter still it's not gonna like i mean must be uh, it's set in 1987 supposedly so it's before dna testing was a big deal i guess still but still 
I guess it's... Was he trying to get rid of evidence, or was he just like, I'm a psychopath? I think he was trying to get rid of evidence, because he was hoping maybe that you couldn't even get dental records or something. Mm-hmm. So, like, they know somebody was dead, but they didn't know who, I think, was yeah. his hope. And it was before DNA, and he was hoping to get rid of, you know, obviously fingerprints, any sort of form of identification you could have at all. Yeah. Like, even dental records. So that would probably, I guess, work before DNA, or at least have any idea who it was. But then, you know, uh, Margie steps on the scene, and he, he's almost done. You got that foot sticking out of the yeah. chipper. And he starts taking off across the frozen lake. Yep. Just, like, wide out in the open. And Margie gets down there and aims and fires and drops him, basically, right? Yeah. So she got the, the killer. And we have, I think there's a quick resolution where they catch Jerry. Just easily to find, hold up in a motel, I think he was. Yeah. And we have the resolution. Marge is, you know, I don't know, she's back at the office. And then her husband is there, who's a painter. And apparently we were very worried whether um, his her husband was going to win the contest of the painting. Yeah, because this other person was really good, Yeah. too. <laughs> but, like, I don't think he got first place, but he still got to be on the three-cent stamp. So he did a good job. Norm did. What a great guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Let me make you some eggs. <laughs> it's a nice guy. <laughs> yeah. So. So my original idea of trying to figure out structure isn't going to work because we don't remember all the details. No, we don't. Should've, again. Yeah. Again. Again. Maybe you should just... I could have, like, watched it twice and then really thought through it, writing down these. I've done this before. I've watched a movie and figured out, you know, act one, act two, or three, inciting it, incident incident, first plot point, etc., midpoint, climax, etc. I mean, we could probably remember a couple things. Like, uh, the climax, obviously, is when things are the final approach. I guess as a wood chipper scene, it's like the, the climactic moment, really, yeah. when everything is settled. It should be. <laughs> well, I was thinking, uh, what um, promises were made in the early part of this movie that were fulfilled or not by the end? Like, early in the movie? Yeah. Or throughout the movie, but throughout the movie, but starting at the beginning, it promises crime involvement, right? Yeah. And Marjorie other... solves the case. Mm-hmm. She's um, like, what kind of movie did like when you first start watching it? What kind of movie you think it is? Originally, when I first watched it, uh-huh. it's hard to say. I I really didn't know what the <clears> fuck <throat> I was gonna about to see. Right? Actually, to tell yeah. you the truth, I remember like being so like blown away by it, and I think that's why it's such a classic. Because I don't think it is a structure that is typical in a movie. Well, a lot of it is the setting that that really changes things for people. It's not what something we're used to. Yeah. And the characters act differently than you expect to in a crime movie. It wasn't like super everything is dark. And we live in a world of crime mm-hmm. and darkness. And a man's soul is nothing bright. You know, <laughs> hard-boiled detective kind of. Yeah. And you think you think of in most crime movies or like oh we're gonna catch a serial killer this guy is the most depraved motherfucker ever in existence and our detective is really good or they're fucked up too but they're at least gonna save us all problems. they're all gonna save us all from the evil and this story is more like we start off with Jerry and he's yeah. just kind of like your everyman he's your uh, salesman type guy your middle class death of a salesman type character like the fall of you know yeah 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 um so i would 
I don't know. It, it does bring... It, kinda, it threw off our expectations a little bit, so we were kind of... Everyone likes this movie, I think, because... It's so... It's a little different. It's different. I mean, the hero of the film is a very sweet, pregnant detective. Yeah. That's always like, yeah. And she's got that smile in her eyes, uh-huh. like, light up when she smiles. Uh-huh. Oh! Yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah, it throws a lot of the tropes out the window. Yeah. Which is very pleasant. Like, but it's, But it's the same as, like, it is underneath its skeleton is a basic crime plot. But, like, on the surface, it's, like, throwing us all for a loop. So we're not, like, all rules are off because we're not following the tropes we all know. So we're like, we don't know. What could happen? Anything could happen, really. Yeah. Is this going to be a comedy? No. They're, people are killing. He is a killer. He is crazy. He seemed goofy at first, and now he's Nuts. killing. Yeah. Like the Pancake's one... house. I want to go to Pancake's house. Yeah, guys. <laughs> so up. a lot of uh, success, I think, was subverting our... Our expectations. And I don't think we mentioned uh, yet about the beginning where it says that it was based on a true story. Right, right. Which you said that it wasn't. Right, I think that was just... It, yeah, it's a reality-based crime drama. So I don't know, is that like a glorified movie version of Unsolved Mysteries that they solved it? Is that like the genre they, they started with thinking about based on a true story? Or that kind yeah. of thing? But did it well, like a real movie? Wikipedia says that it's actually a black comedy crime film. Yeah. That's a good way of explaining. We mm-hmm. were trying to figure that out. But I was really curious, and I meant to look that up earlier, and I forgot if it was actually, like, was it, like, loosely based on a crime story or something? Mm-hmm. It happened. It's like the setting and the characters that really make it. It's like the people in this small, it's kind of, they're mostly small towns, are so normal they're weird. Yes. And it's, like, delightful just to see this. We expect crime movies to be, like, dark and gritty, and these people are so normal. It's almost like the banality of, I want to say evil, but that's a that's a phrase you never really, normally associate with Nazism. But <laughs> the banality of crime, of, of darkness, like, it's not super um, extravagant and emotional. It's, like, it's just people are desperate people make stupid mistakes, and they're not that smart about it. It's like usually you expect like a crime movie, hey, there's some mastermind figuring things out or they're just super evil. And it's like, no, it's just like you're every man who fucks up his life and he makes a lot of mistakes. Oh, okay. So just back to the thing. Mm -hmm. It says in the closing credits that um, all persons are fictitious. Uh, The Coen brothers, Ethan and Joel... Claimed that they based their script on an actual criminal event, but wrote a fictional story around it. Okay. Um, they weren't interested in that kind of fidelity. The basic events are the same as in the real case, but the characterizations are fully imagined. Right. So. Because um, it does seem like the plots of like some of this, a lot of those true crime shows you watch on your murder channel. Yeah. You know, oh, it's just then, oh, it's just a basic only... like every man dumbass or asshole trying to get some money and everything goes to shit except that normally they're they want they know full well that they're killing their wife or something for money insurance money or something but this guy was like i need some money i don't want to kill my wife but we can do a kidnapping scheme and get money from my father-in-law who's an asshole yeah so it's like he starts off thinking like i fucked everything up but i can get away with this without really really without killing anybody but then it all goes wrong did you ever think about killing me no 
No, because I've seen Fargo. I know what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot my initial thought now. Because <laughs> I was like, you really never thought about killing me? <laughs> you would be the only person on this planet, I assume. I'd be the prime subject. How stupid do you think I am? <laughs> or a suspect, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> it's an amazing film. What's the next question? Um, it, was, it was similar. It was just what was satisfying about this movie or not? Um, you know what's really satisfying to me, and that's just because I'm into cinematography and I'm an amateur filmmaker, mm-hmm. was a lot, it was between the characters and like their acting, like this, how wonderfully done mm-hmm. their acting, like especially Marge, yeah. you know, the scenery, like I, the snow. Like, visually, it was great. It shows, like, a snow kind of could be either really beautiful, I think, in film, or it could be, like, this, like, idea of isolation. Mm-hmm. Kind of, like, death, you know, at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like... There's this bleakness. Like, they're entering this really bleak territory. So, which me, is Which is what the movie's about. Yeah. It's, like, these kind of, like, normal people, like, in their little cozy little inside worlds but they're really entering and it's really on these long dark roads or empty vast parking parking lots like they're a representation of like uh, moods of where at least either the characters or where the movie's going yeah like when that statue of paul bunyan gets eerie right before the killings Mm -hmm. it's like okay we're entering brainerd county we're entering murder town in this movie right now that's the point it's the point of no return really yes and they've they've cro- like the uh, hero's journey type of structure, it, if you want to apply at least part of it to it, it's like they've crossed the threshold. They've they've entered the land of adventure. Now things are starting to go wrong. Yeah, and it I thought it was actually crossing the threshold would be when uh, the kidnapping actually takes place, and then it all goes wrong. Go ahead, what we were saying. I just I mean. Uh... It was shot in film, too. Well, they did back then. Mm-hmm. And I like the... That you could still see like some of the graininess of film. Yeah. And film is not as forgiving as digital. I don't know. I mean, sometimes... I mean, I'm more I mean, used you can edit I'm film, more used but... to it now, the 4K stuff, but occasionally there's something about it that makes it look weird. Like well, two... it used to look like a soap opera to me. Yeah. Now I'm so used to it that I don't really yeah. see a difference. Yeah. But um, I noticed <clears throat> with that film, I mean, it was digitally remastered too, but it was originally shot on film, and you can tell. And I really, really like, I, I want to shoot in film so bad mm-hmm. because I like the way it looks versus digital. Like, it, there's just some, like, you know, how people, like, now it's an obsession that people are, you know, they got into records again, mm-hmm. and for that sound quality, that you're not, that old sound uh-huh. of it, and the sound of, like, I still love that sound, actually, when you drop the needle down, mm-hmm. and that, that, yeah, you exactly. know, and I kind of feel that way with film, like, when movies are shot in film, you can kind of see that still. Like, even when they digitally remaster it. Yeah. And I forgot what I was trying to 
Well, they also had like different lighting techniques. Like, see, if you go to black and white movies, mm-hmm. like they were, they had really bright lights in yes. contrast with the darkness and shadows. The fuck up thing about those lights too is nobody ever talks about those lights <clears throat> they used back then are not the fluorescent mm-hmm. LED lights that we use now on films. Mm-hmm. That those fuckers are hot as hell. Mm-hmm. And for two, like being on a person, but don't ever fucking touch them. I touched mm-hmm. one before. It's awful. And, <laughs> and and for two, those things burn out like crazy. Like they you're changing light bulbs like every two minutes. Like it's not two minutes, but yeah. you know, like you're constantly have to have a supply of yeah. light bulbs constantly. But they make the best shots. We're, uh, yeah. we're gonna have to see uh, some Orson Welles um, touch of evil pretty soon. They do. I think our internet's down, but it doesn't matter for this. Mm-hmm. But um, <clears throat> I had problems with it earlier, actually. So I. The whole time, until I got really into the story, I would try to stop and watch the movie, like, how it's being shot. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm watching, like, oh, okay, this is the right, you know. So I wonder, maybe we should watch movies twice before we do Actually record. do a podcast yeah. about it. It would be hard, because uh-huh. we're not going to want to sit through it again. Uh-huh. You know? Like, yeah. no matter how much we like it. The only time, like, I really wanted to was um that Touch of Evil, the Orson Welles. Yeah. Which I only seen the beginning, mm-hmm. which is the most infamous part because it was one continuous shot. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll talk about that in another yeah. episode because we're definitely doing. Probably not next. We might do the thing next. Yes. John Carpenter's the thing. Yes. And then maybe we'll do Touch of Evil by Orson Welles. But the Coen Brothers are really good. They have like a style, mm-hmm. you know, like Tarantino has his style, mm-hmm. and the Coen Brothers definitely have like a visual style. And I, you see it in every movie of theirs, I feel like. It all has a sim- similarity, and I like it. I think it's visually stimulating, mm-hmm. as well as the story is. What do you think the theme of the movie was? The theme? Mm-hmm. Crying. <laughs> I mean... I think it's just like, you know, you try to pull something over... On people, and it's not going to work out. No. It's never goes, nothing goes according to plan. No. Kind of like just, karma. Yeah. You're trying to, she's trying to do something beyond his ability to do. Mm-hmm. And it's going to go to hell. Crime don't pay, especially when Margie Gunderson is on the case. Yeah. 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 Oh, jeez. Who's that one guy on the murder channel you watch? Um, Which one? I don't know if you watch it, but he's on that channel. Um, oh, you're talking about, uh, Detective, uh, your dad likes. Yeah. Um, I forgot. The ID his name. channel. I call it the murder channel, but it's the ID channel we're referring oh, to. Oh, I love the ID channel. The passion. I don't watch that one so much. And he goes, my, my, my. Yeah, I cannot think of his name. Detective. Oh, it's going to drive me crazy. I'm going to have to Google it right now. I'm Googling it right now. Um, let's see. How do you Google this? ID channel, Detective ID channel. Oh, Joe Kenda. Joe Kenda. Joe Kenda. Oh, what movie was he in? Yeah, we did see him in a movie recently. Yeah, like, what was that? Do you remember? Oh, man, it's 
been driving me crazy, but he shows up in a movie. But I think it's like as a joke cameo. Yeah. Thing. My, my, my. Eh, eh, murder, crime. I think of when you have it in everyday life, and that's why we like stories. We like movies and... Well, there's a big question. It's like, why do people watch movies or like stories? Humanity is always like stories. It's because it's something bizarre, and that's why I kind of like ID Channel a lot, is because it, these are true stories, and they're horrific and terrifying, and people think I'm crazy how much I love them. But, I mean, there's a few episodes of this one show I like to watch on there that I it freaks me out. So I think it's kind of cool that the Coen brothers based it on a story, based like very loosely based it on mm-hmm. a, something that actually happened. Right. So something I would want to do. Well, maybe you shall someday. Well, I shall. Should we wrap this up and. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And now uh, coming next week. The thing. John Carpenter's The Thing. Mm-hmm. Which I don't. I haven't seen it in a long time. Another snow movie. Another snow movie. Yeah. I happened to pick that up at the store. Yeah. Which I actually went to a video rental store where they still exist. And yeah. Family video. And instead of just uh, renting it from Amazon, we decided, well, we'll rent from an actual store to keep it and help put $3 towards keeping it in business <laughs> for as long as it will last, which I, it's got to be on the outs, you know, in the next few years, I'm thinking, I don't know. I do miss them. I want to keep them around, actually. I don't know I like if, it's just, it. if it's just nostalgia or. Well, it's something, too, though. Like, I used to get actually really irritated with you mm-hmm. because you would spend so much time in there looking mm-hmm. at every single yeah. damn movie. And I would get, like, and I'm, I love movies, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I was just like, oh my God, I want to go home <laughs> now. Let's just find something. We can watch it. Uh, I am somewhat indecisive. I'll grant you. You <laughs> look at every damn movie on the shelf. Mm-hmm. But there is something like very special about going into a, like since as a child. I remember that was like a thing I did almost every Friday night. Mm-hmm. My parents or my mom would take me to Blockbuster or whatever. And I would go and look at every movie I could find and mm-hmm. what I would want to watch. And Hollywood video was the best to me because they had the most weirdest, rare I, I movies. I agree, yeah, that cult movie section, which yes, I and enjoyed. that's when I like would start renting really weird shit. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, there's like, because I had no access to all the movies we do now. No, it was just like what was on the shelves, and that's it was most you know. it was mostly new releases, you know, most of the time, and a couple old movies movies here and there. You know, as a kid, you're only excited, oh, what's the new one? I've heard about this, you know? I think I rented a Toxic Avenger at Hollywood Mm -hmm. for the first time. But But I did see that before I rented it. Um, Because my dad's stepdad, Mm -hmm. my grandma's late husband. Kept a bunch of VHS copies of everything. Yeah. Did he do, like, the whole hook up two VCRs to each other? I, I did that as a kid, too. Yeah. He, everything he rented, he would... Anything on TV, yeah. he recorded. I, 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 and those were great, too, because there were like four movies on a tape sometimes, mm-hmm. or three movies. Usually three. Yeah. I did that, a number of things. Mm-hmm. 
And he did something really cool for me because I, I would watch movies with him and I don't know if he was... Oh, that learning. reminds me. Like, I don't know if we could trust my VCR anymore because I feel like it might rip some stuff up. But I have some old tapes like that where you could play like three movies. Yeah. And this movie, um, I remember when we had... Um, I was a little older. I was like 19 or so, 20 maybe. Mm-hmm. And my dad had... It was at Red Shoe Diaries? <laughs> no. It was... Uh, <laughs> It was like on IFC, like back when they would show actually in more independent movies or mm-hmm. either IFC or Sundance. Yeah. Know, like around the year 2000. And uh, this movie, Night on Earth. Remember, yeah, I, I, made you, I made you watch that. Yeah. We should watch that again and talk about yeah, it. Yeah, we could talk about that one too, especially. Um, actually, I just talked about that movie. Um, the guy that does that, he does, um, I think, I always have a blank in my head. Mm-hmm. What other movie? He did something. That I was thinking of the other 1991. Uh, what's his name? Jim Jarmusch. Oh, Jim Jarmusch. I didn't Jarmusch. realize it was. Yeah. He did a lot of really great films. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I always liked his hair. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did he do? He did uh, Coffee and Cigarettes. He yeah, did, that's um, what I was thinking yeah. of. Yeah. Uh, I was but I think Night on Earth is like the best gotta be the best that's really great yeah he did dead man which i actually never seen that i never with johnny depp we can watch that Um, yeah um we tried to watch broken flowers once with bill murray i don't think we ever finished it yeah i don't know night on earth is far and above best better than all those movies though yeah in my opinion night on earth is brilliant i thought it was like four different directors i might be wrong it was all him. him. It was yeah. set in four different like locations around the globe. I do like those kind of movies. And they're all four based rooms. on taxi cab drivers. Yeah. And uh, four different you, areas around the globe. Didn't you make me watch Mystery Train too? No, I never saw that. No, we did that. I was just talking about. It. I think maybe last weekend when I did that thing. Hmm. I was talking about him. His coffee and cigarettes came up, and then I talked. Doesn't about he have him. some association with Sonic Youth? Yeah. Didn't he like do work at the same place as um, Thurston Moore or something? He, I, I heard some interview with him, where like him and Thurston Moore worked at the same like copy shop or something. <laughs> <laughs> In New York, I believe. I always like that uh, that weird video. I think I sent it to you a long time ago, where uh, Thurston Moore is with Beck and they're on MTV. Yeah. And Beck is just being really weird. I saw that live, I think, when I was a kid and a teenager. Yeah. They were just making weird noises. Yeah. Like, they had some weird noise machines. And they were going, and like, okay, we're going to have a performance. Like, I think it was like 120 minutes or something. Yeah. And like, okay, we're going to have a performance. And we got Thurston Moore and Beck. This is going to be awesome. And they just went there and went, yeah. <laughs> like, for like five minutes. There's just mm-hmm. awful noises. <laughs> should make those noises from the beginning of the podcast. Oh, God. <laughs> I, mean, I think with intro, it's not like horrifically awful. Or five minutes long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hate those. <laughs> I do hate <clears throat> them so much. I don't know. We can have a, a, the sound of a film reel flapping. Like it's burning. a drive-in. And it's burning up. Mm-hmm. You ever, I remember seeing that in movie theaters when the film would burn? Yeah. Yeah. 
or not not all the way, but like partly somewhere to fuck up. Yeah. At the Harbor Theater. Mm-hmm. That's where I remember seeing that. Kindergarten too. Cop. Yeah. That's right. our next one. That's we get a, that goes right in front of the line. Kindergarten <laughs> <laughs> Cop. Fuck Orson Welles. It's not fuck. a tumor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's going to the back of the line. We'll put Kindergarten Cop right at the top of the list. Sorry, Orson. <laughs> kindergarten Cop is like the best movie. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, what else did you see there? Uh, Ghostbusters 2? I think I saw... I've seen a lot of movies there, but... I remember seeing Little Rascals, the remake, there. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing Kindergarten Cop there. Maybe we were both were there at the same time. That's what I was thinking, yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing... Way back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen a lot of movies there. In later years, I saw Starship Troopers there. Yeah. Which, cool thing about that, side note, is uh, a few weeks ago, I did a film challenge with a group in Grand Rapids, Michigan. They have a 36-hour film challenge. Mm-hmm. And we... Uh, the guy that did the props and the effects mm. for... Star troop, starship starship troopers. troopers um did the mass for us for our movie sweet and which tomorrow which you know this is not oh, yeah. going to be released until afterwards um is the actual like premiere and competition mm-hmm. and we'll see if we either get disqualified or we win or not win it awesome but he he lives in grand rapids those are some good effects. The movie I don't remember w- it that well. The movie was... I remember... I didn't like it. I remember when I first I, saw... I remember I, some people hated it. Like, I saw it with, I think, with Jeff and Kelly. Yeah. And they were... Thought it was awful. And I and I realized, like, why they thought it was awful. But I, would like, loved it. Like, it was almost tongue-in-cheek, cheesy, yeah. on purpose. The yeah. first one, at least. And I kind of liked it for that reason. Because it, it was, like... Sometimes I love those movies and sometimes I hate them. I don't yeah, know what it I is. could feel like it was done on purpose. The people I've never read the book. The people who read the book really hated it because yeah. it was making fun of it almost. It seemed like taking making it into a cheesy thing. Yeah, and people have actually read the book took it very seriously because for lots of different sci-fi, great world-building ideas that were you know. I, I just but, remember I. But for. The first time viewer never heard about it before seeing it it was just a fun romp and that was i must like the details that they had like this you know radio announcer like it's wartime like it's almost like it's world war ii yeah in space fighting giant bugs you know mm-hmm. i thought that was great it was yeah entertain, entertaining in a way yeah anyway <laughs> <laughs> so next up is kindergarten cop Number two is the thing. The thing. John Carpenter. John Carpenter's the thing. Yes. Um, which I don't know how it's been so long since I've seen it. I believe it has something to do with H.P. Lovecraft's In the Mountains of Madness, or at least inspired by. That's what I heard or vaguely remember. I could be wrong. I did uh, see it um, in Detroit at the main art. Mm-hmm. It was like two bucks to go see the thing. I haven't seen it since, I don't know how long. I was a kid, I think. Yeah. But Kurt Russell. Yeah, yeah, I love Kurt Russell. Squirt Russell. Snake Pliskin. Yeah. Solid Snake. 
it is kind of funny. Uh, I uh, lost the keys. To you know, it, I don't care. him and Goldie Hawn. You know, they're not married, <laughs> but they've been together for a long time. And Goldie Hawn's uh, daughter, that uh, is an actress too. Mm-hmm. It's not his kid, but she grew up with Kurt mm-hmm. Russell. But I saw this weird interview once where Goldie Hawn was talking about how much of a little shit she was, <laughs> like growing up when she would get in trouble. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why I thought it was funny. Like, oh, mom and Kurt would come home and I'm like, oh, I had a party. Yeah, I just thought it was funny. Because it, it would be weird to have parents are, you know, or that are famous, but then they still have that parental role. Mm-hmm. Like, you're in trouble, you little shit. You know, <laughs> kind of thing. I thought it was funny. I don't know. It's just kind of something out there. <laughs> I, I thought of when you said Kurt Russell I thought of that interview we'll have, we'll have plenty of chance to talk about Kurt Russell next time Squirt Russell that just makes me feel uncomfortable I didn't even show you the picture I, I don't want to know yeah it's awful <laughs> don't ruin my love of big trouble in little China Oh, he Which I also some big trouble and some little <laughs> vaginas. Oh, God. <laughs> I walked right into that one. <laughs> big trouble and little vaginas. I wonder if that's a porn. <laughs> if not, I, maybe I should hurry up and make oh, no. it. <laughs> I'll be rich. We should end this. How do we? We have to have an official ending okay. before we fully devolve. All right. <laughs> um, I am Devo. I... <laughs> yeah. Um, Fargo. <laughs> Where are we still talking about Fargo? <laughs> Ten thumbs up. Ten thumbs up. I'm gonna pretend that every finger of mine is a thumb, <clears throat> mm-hmm. and I'm just gonna put all my fingers up. Uh, thank you. Joel and Ethan Cohen, you guys make really good movies. Amen. I love you. (laughs) I just made it awkward. (laughs) (laughs) The end. The end? I prefer the end. (laughs) I like, but it's the. But it's an E. Well, it's an E. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Everybody, don't drink and watch movies.